Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Tricky Kid Radio. I'm your host, as always, Roy Turner. It always cracks this gentleman up who's with me here. He's already laughing. We already have a good time, as we should, because we don't, we don't do this show during the summer. I summertime. just like the big intro. I want the, you know... Hello, everybody! Yeah, look at all the people here tonight! I learned from the greatest, man. I learned from David Lee, man. Oh, I thought you were going to say me. (laughs) And who is me? Uh, Chaz. This is Chaz. Call me Chaz. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Knight. Yes. Um, so again, we don't normally do the show during the summertime, but we had we have a very special guest, and we had a special Fourth of July episode, uh, and had an opportunity. So we would thought, hey, you know what, man, let's have a summer bash, and I can't have a summer bash without my buddy Chaz. Drink some beer and come in and bring in the party. Welcome back to Tricky Kid Radio. Chaz Knight, how are you, sir? Uh, great, thanks for having me. We're here. Where it's the summertime, cold beer, and podcasting. Yes, got, got my got my drink in my hand, got my toes in the sand. All I need is a podcast and, to go <laughs> and beautiful girls. Oh man. Okay, so here's the deal. We're going to be talking about 1989. It's always the 80s with me. I don't know why you always like call me when it's the 80s shows. Because well, I'm old! Well, you're the only friend of mine that's, uh, that I have that's my age. <laughs> <laughs> They're all younger. No, all, your friends are younger. <laughs> They're all much younger. Almost. You're, you're, you're the only friend that has just kind of stayed, you know. Dang it. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and you, you know this stuff. Ah, you know kinda, what I mean? So, kind of, yeah. Okay. From what you tell me, I do. Well, let me tell you this. Here's what was going to make this week so special or this special episode because it's not going to be part of a weekly thing because, again, we're just going to do two special episodes this summer, and this is one of them. And here's why. So it is the 30th anniversary of the summer of 1989. Now, we're going to talk about more than just the summer of 89, but reason why that is a big deal for, for me personally and maybe as well for you because it was— Puberty. That, and it was the last year of, in my opinion, the greatest freaking decade in the history of mankind. That's why I'm here. That's our favorite decade. That's right. That's right. It has to do with the fact that we didn't know what to call that period. Or Alzheimer's. Or Alzheimer's. (laughs) Regardless, we are going to have a fantastic time. And here's what I want to be clear about. Now, you can turn on Netflix right now, and you can... Find something, uh, I guess before we came on the air, National Geographic did a great uh, series called about the 1980s called The 80s, A Decade That Made Us. It's narrated by Rob Lowe. Uh, CNN followed suit and they've done one on the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. But it's more of kind of like a recap of the news of that year. You know? Yeah, but it, yeah, it's not. Right? Yeah. It's interesting. I've watched them, but I really was. I, I tuned out a lot of that. Right. Some of them are fun. Some of them are not fun. Like the one on, on 9-11. I don't want to relive that. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But the point is, is that we'll acknowledge some of that stuff. But the main thing is this is a people's history. Yeah. This isn't like what the news reported in 1989. This was my 1989. This is your 1989. I like it. So let's get now. And also, I'm very happy to announce our special guest, uh, this week is famed photographer and author Michael Galinsky. Yeah. And Michael Galinsky uh, is currently, he's so awesome. He made a 
photo a photography book in 2012 called Malls Across America. Did you say balls? Malls. Oh, mall. I thought malls, you said right. malls. Yeah, I, I know. I was uh, thinking, man, that's, that'd be a crazy book. The minute I see Jocelyn, I think I say balls too. <laughs> um, and so anyway. He is now coming back mm -hmm. with a new book that's currently being kickstarted right now. It's already met its goal, but you should still check it out and still contribute. And it's called The Decline of Mall Civilization. Love it. Because as it turns out, he was the only one that really documented mall culture in the 80s. Because you weren't taking pictures at the mall in the 80s. I was hanging out at the mall yeah, in but, the 80s. Right, right. But we're going to get all that. And I've always wanted to do like a, a mall specific or a mall only. And we may still do that. Yeah. Okay. But this is going to bring. But anyway, but the book uh, is. We should so, do a mall show. I'm, I'm, I'm I, serious. We should. No, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like I'm going to like. like the, I got so much mall material. I, I, I have a <laughs> lifetime of mall goodies. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. All right. I mean, I, I mean, like I know mall walkers by on a first name basis. <laughs> Shout out to, to the, my girls at Northeast Mall. Okay. In the leisure sweatpants. That's right. That's right. But I have I have an affinity for the mall, uh, and uh, and an affinity for that time. So all the photographs that he took are set That's in cool. 1989. So when I've been wanting to put this show together, and I've been thinking about it because it's been 30 years. So we're gonna talk. We're gonna get into so much great stuff. We're gonna talk about let it rip man. about the bands that started in '89, the bands that ended in '89. So much great stuff. And all the fun stuff. Again, a people's history of 1989, and we want you to also to write in. Tell us, what, what is your favorite memory? What was your summer of 89, or even the entire year? Uh, and, and so we're going to get into, into all of that, and that's, that's, that's the first question I will pose to you. Here I go. All is right. that, okay, in 1989, you were 21 years old, right? I think so, yes. In a knee-jerk sort of sense of way when when you think of 1989 or when you think about that time maybe you don't think about things the way that i do and it or in a very specific consolidated manner like rain man right thank you but when you think of 89 what is the first thing you think of what do you think about it all uh dr feelgood motley crew motley's dr feelgood yeah okay so music so That's music the is the first a thing that popped into my brain was dr feelgood dr. that's Phil good because that came out in 89 it did it right. did okay and and so did you see the tour uh, yes, I did see that tour. You did, okay. Yeah. It came for, uh, for two nights here at Reunion Arena in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, I didn't see it here. Uh, oh, because you, you, yeah. you're, you're from Colorado. I, uh, I saw it in Lubbock. I was in Lubbock. Oh, because you were at school. Yeah. I was in school, yeah, yeah. So I saw it in Lubbock, Texas. And it only came for one night. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lubbock. <laughs> it, barely, it barely came in one night. <laughs> yeah, 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 right, right. <laughs> I think the show was like condensed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was there was no encore. They were right? playing music as they drove by. And that's what you yeah, got. Yeah, they put on a flatbed truck down yeah. Main Street, right? Yeah. What they call it? Like a field. All yeah, right, it's right, right. <laughs> on their way to Houston, right? Yeah, but, right. Uh, uh, what do you what do you remember from 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 that 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 period or that tour or that show specifically? What do you what do you remember? That, well, that I'll tell you what I remember. Um, I was in college. And there was a lot of experimentation going on. So I don't really remember a lot. There was a lot of great shows back then. A lot of great bands. Yeah. But I don't really remember. Again, we talked about this for the show. I think I have early set Alzheimer's. Well, but you also so, have burned a lot of brain cells since 1989. I've done some things. That's what I'm saying. 
But yeah, I don't. I just remember the album coming out. I remember the album. I remember the green cover. You know, when you said what's right. the first thing. Uh, right. Philly, I remember that cover. It's green. Why did they pick this color? It's weird. Yeah. So right. you know stuff like that. But you know, kind of know. a weird color scheme, right? I thought it was a weird deal, but. But you know, here's the feeling. It was a huge album for him. Loved it. It's still their most most successful commercially, for sure. You I know, even, I don't even like it that much. But anyway, I I don't. I'll be honest. You know me. I am. If you when you think of Van Halen, when you think of Motley. You think of me, right? Those are my bands. Yeah, we have, well, we're both of us. Yeah, totally. Of course. Uh, and the same. Those thing, are our bands. Those are our bands. And but I was 15 in 1989, so I needed something a little more, something a little heavier. Okay. Oh no. Now, now I was introduced to Motley at on the shout the, uh, at 83 shout the devil period. Even though I was I was probably way too young, and uh, and immediately had Too Fast for Love in my life. Uh, and by the time we got to Theater of Pain, I had bought that on the day it came out. Of course. And then I saw the girls' tour on 4th of July, Barton Coliseum in Little Rock, Arkansas. So I was... Such a rain man. Motley was my life. Right. I get it. But we moved here in 87. I mean, when I say here, here we are in Dallas, Texas, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So... By that time, I had discovered Slayer and Metallica <laughs> and you right. know, Anthrax. Yeah, and, I went through all that too. Right. But when I was younger. Right. right. Yeah. But I was, again, I was 15. Right. So by the time that Motley fired back with Dr. Feelgood, their most commercial sounding record, I couldn't get behind it. And it oh, you were, you were out? Out. Really? Totally out. Wow. Now, I, I, I regret that in a sense because it's one of those things where, you know, it's like now... Like now, if Motley were to get back together and only do the Doctor Feelgood record and tour, yeah, I, I would I would go multiple times. You think, sure, yeah. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah. But it is, and and, and also in, in retrospect, and also since then, it's not. It's still not the the Motley record that I. Yeah, I mean, you know? it'll it'll never be too fast or shout the devil. Yeah, or even theater of pain to me, right? Which, you know, me, it's me one neither. of my favorites, but totally. Or even, you know, we talked about this earlier, Saints of Los Angeles is also a great one. And, and I, will, I will tell a story about that I think that I like later. that better in Dr. Feelgood. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So, but my memories are this, and I'm going to throw some things out at you here. Yeah. We're going to get into Pepper the, me. We're going to get into the movies. We're going to get right, into right. The, to, to the music and everything else. But I'm glad that you said that because what I think of, and outside of that, it's also music and things. What I think of is that I'm a massive baseball guy, right? And believe it or not, if for all baseball. my... For all my rocking and rolling and my talking and journalism and rock Were you and roll. playing baseball at that time? I, yeah, with hair down to my ass. <laughs> Hippie. Yeah, well, there's no metal, like, right? And that was what was so weird. If any of my former classmates are listening to this show, and I know some of you are, they won't admit it, right? I was probably, I, I know it. I was in this little nothing town outside of Fort Worth called Crowley, Texas. Okay, oh, Mr. Crowley. Bum, bum, bum. Um, but this was a place even back then where we people thought we were devil worshippers because we had long hair. Well, right, and you lived in Mr. Crowley, Texas. That's right, and then, but also this was the height of that whole like satanic panic thing, and nice. and it was still like perpetually like 1951 there. And what was it was I, <laughs> I'm not kidding. We did it. Still is today. So, what are you talking no, no, about? I, I'm not kidding. I haven't been back in years. And I went back recently, and it still very much is in that sense. It's so crazy. But so here's the deal: was was that it was like we couldn't walk down the street. And I'll get in this in a little bit because something happened in 1989. It's very significant to the, to what I'm talking about. Um, 
with that adult chick yelling stuff out of, out of their car. I didn't realize we were not like 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 the the prom queen and the football uh, right. guy. Those were the ones that were they were the ones that were actually criminals and doing drugs and, and having getting the wow. trouble and stuff. Dude, I was a straight A student. Okay, me and my long-haired nerd friends, you know what we did? Yes, we were in the Slayer, but here's what we did. Um, we played baseball because I dreamed of playing for the Philadelphia Phillies. That's what I wanted to do with my life, right? Really? That was, I did not know this about you. Okay, it's my, if you go up to my, to my office, it's, it's, a, it's a museum of baseball. It's, a, wow. it's, it's my entire life. How did I not day, know this about you? That is interesting. Yeah. Probably because here's the deal. We met in 1994, you and I. It was right after the lockout. And I was so mad about the lockout that I wasn't Mr. Baseball and didn't watch baseball for over oh, so ten, over it ten years. You a little bit, for sure. And then uh, with the drugs and all that, with uh, with you know the, the the Mark McGuire's and the Sammy Sosa's and all the drugs of the world. Ironically, that's when I got into it. It was just the three of us, and we were metal guys. But nice. we didn't even we didn't even get along with the three or four other jock. Men. Well, no, here's the deal. We didn't even get along with the other three or four metal guys oh. in Crowley, Texas, because they were total trash. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. They, they were like what those people were yelling out the window to us when we were walking to school. Those guys really were that. Oh, they really I see what you're were saying. garbage. Okay. We were not garbage. So we couldn't re- really relate to the jocks. Right. And all that kind of stuff. Because you look like girls with your long hair. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but they had, those people had no idea. Right. No idea. That you were. That we were. I, I did day. great in school. I was probably tutoring some of those, those people. That's great. Uh, and I was playing baseball. We were playing Nintendo. We were in a band. Sure, we smoked some pot. Who cares? Right. right. You know? Sorry there. Yeah, uh, 21. I think I had some pretty long hair too back then. Yeah. 21. I was growing my hair long. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, times. and so, times. but the thing that I think about, 89. Though, yeah, 89, man. Yeah, you had to have long hair in 89, I think. I mean, I think the late, late 80s, you, you had long hair, but yeah, 89, you still had it. So yeah. I'm going to get into to a couple of things here, and we'll, we'll, we're going to do some songs baseball. and that sort of thing. Yeah, baseball. Still my greatest obsession. My, I if, love that, man. If anybody asks me, if if all the things you know, it was like that's why it's so great. I get to okay movies. Here are some movies that came out in 1989 that'll surprise you. Uh, first of all, uh, the, the number one people think about in 1989 is the movie When Harry Met Sally. Oh, oh, the big scene, the big O scene, the big O scene, right? Okay. Right. Now there's some radio station. Or 30 years later to celebrate the third anniversary of it, they're having some contest because. <laughs> And you know what the contest is. Right. You have to sound like she did. They Simulate the orgasm. The, the fake orgasm. right? But here's what's funny. Is, you know, I moved to New York mm-hmm. in 2006 and was there till 2013, basically 14, right? And there's so many things even now that I learn that happen in places where I'm like, oh, okay. Because everything freaking happened in New York, right? So there's a great place in New York called Katz's Deli. And I love uh, like Reuben sandwiches. Oh, yeah. I love delis. I love delis. Diners right? and delis. And, and I so wanted to awesome. have that, that Jewish New York yes. thing. And I went in there and you had to even like go through like a turnstile and get a ticket and shit. I love that. And I went in there and, and like the sandwiches were like $25. And I was like, okay, I don't love it, right? <laughs> 
Why, why are they so expensive? I learned later, and I didn't even know this until I was doing my research for the show, is that that scene where she oh, thinks the orgasm was there was at Katz's you Deli. Got the orgasm, Reuben. Right, right, right. Well, I'll tell you this. I did buy one, and it was orgasmic. It was. So she didn't need much help there. And she probably wasn't. If she took a bite of that sandwich, she wasn't doing a whole lot of faking. Okay, so while. When Harry Met Sally actually didn't come out until the summertime, I kind of wanted to back it up for a second to kind of recap and give you a bit of a uh, kind of a month by month thing here uh, before we launch back into it. So, uh, starting back in January, uh, what kicked us off at the beginning of that year uh, was well, first of all, was we had a new president, uh, George. Uh, Bush Sr. was sworn in. Of course, he had been the vice president for the eight previous years, and then now uh, he was the president. Um, little fun facts here. The Lexus and Infinity car lines were introduced. Uh, the first internet ISPs were um, established. And I talk about this, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but uh, our City Hall late night talk show began, which was the centerpiece of my world. Uh, starting in 1989 for literally most of its if its original run. Um, me and my family, we also we mentioned about being in Crowley, Texas. We had just we we had just moved into a new house in Crowley. We were had been in Crowley since '87, but we had just moved into the house uh, on Texas Street uh, in that January. Uh, and lots of cool things that I remember. Um, I'm a big comic book reader, and you comic book fans from back then will remember that there was this big uh, storyline called Inferno. And this was the first time that, at least in my comic book reading uh, experience, was where all the titles were merging into like crossover things. And of course, you know, in hindsight, it, uh, you look back on it and, and you see all oh, it was trying to get you to read other titles that you wouldn't normally read, and it worked. Um, but I was very limited in terms. I really only read, like, of course, G.I. Joe. I started getting into uh, The Punisher, and I started reading a couple of the Spider-Man titles. But things like like the, the real supernatural stuff really kind of, that, that necessarily turned me off. It just, I just wasn't ready for it. I don't know what it was. Or I was intimidated by it. So things like X-Men and the new mutants and all that i just i didn't know where to start and this helped me get into that and the whole storyline with the goblin queen and all that it was just fantastic and it just opened up me up to so many new titles like the x-men and uh probably my favorite year outside of my gi joe experiences uh, for reading comics i couldn't wait to and, and it was neat buying new titles and having a reason to do that so that was a so that started in january uh, and a couple other different things I wanted to mention was in some of the albums. Uh, we were talking about, about how I was, you know, getting into thrash metal and had been for a while, and I needed something heavier. But again, to my classmates uh, out there in Crowley, Texas, for the uh, eight, you know, the 88, 89 school year, uh, and then going into the 89, 90 school year, uh, you guys would have no idea that yes, while I was into Slayer, I was also very much into pop music. Uh, Tone Lokes looked after dark, man. I we still listen to, um, you know, Funky Cold Medina, and of course, Wild Thing, and all that was off that record. Uh, the first Skid Row record, um, 
I really get into them a little bit later, uh, but uh, with, with their second record. But man, I mean, godly, they lit the world on fire that year with Youth Gone Wild and 18 and Life and all that, all that started. Uh, and then Exodus came out with their album Fabulous Disaster, which played a very big role. And uh, I'll get into that a little bit later because we ended up seeing them that year on a very influential tour uh, in my life. Uh, but again, uh, a lot of people would be surprised to know, at least from back then, was that I was in love, in love, obsessed uh, with Miss Debbie Gibson. And who I want you to check out trickykid.com uh, this week uh, because we do a, a total thing on this current tour that actually just wrapped this, this past week uh, in Florida. Uh, which was the mixtape tour. And I swear to you, besides the times I saw Prince, this was the most fun I've ever had at a concert. It was Tiffany, Debbie Gibson. Um, uh, you know, of course, it was headlined, but it was actually it was at New Kids on the Block, but also had like, I mean, golly, like Naughty by Nature and Salt and Pepper. And it was just paced so cleverly. It wasn't just like, you know, Tiffany came out and played to a, you know, a mostly empty arena for 20 minutes. And it was like New Kids started the show. There was a B stage. And so there was constant music. And it was just such a blast. And it just felt, it wasn't like, you know, like how you can never go home again. And they're playing like the state fair. And you feel kind of embarrassed by being there. No, this felt like 1989, man. This felt like, you know, middle school again. And it was wonderful. So I encourage you guys to check that out. And so, the reason why I mentioned David Gibson because her second record, Electric Youth, uh, came out uh, in in uh, starting in January of that year, and uh, and so I'm going to play uh, the title track from that uh, right now, and uh, we'll be back with much much more uh, from the year 1989. Again, we have Michael Galinsky and uh, his great book. Uh, we're talking about that coming up. Uh, so stick around for more of Tricky Kid Radio.
Sam Jones slash Gordon. I'm with Roy Turner at Tricky Kid Radio. And you better be tuning in or I will find you. Yes, I will. Yes. I still listen to that and and it was so great to see her she's still so gorgeous and still awesome and she just killed it on this mixtape tour uh, a couple of things I wanted to mention I we're talking about, about heavier things one of the things I mentioned I, I remember so much and well back then back in the day you know you have your friends and you're they're like your brothers but you fight like brothers and then sometimes you you know your your highs are intense and your lows are intense and uh I was fortunate that I had these uh, these two great friends, uh, Steve Ainsworth, and I probably shouldn't use last names here, but um, and I'm not, I don't mean to, but, but he was, uh, but also Chris Todd, and I don't mean to use both of their last names, but that's just what I call them. And and uh, thanks to social media, I still get to talk to them every once in a while. Um, uh, Mr. Todd's been been a minute, sir. I don't know where you've been, but uh, anyway. Um, I don't. I feel like I'm still holding a grudge here, 30 years later. But those dudes. Uh, like I guess we had like a I don't know like a falling out or something, and uh, all those guys conspired and went and saw Metallica uh, in February in Dallas that year with Queensrÿche like without me, and I was so mad because Metallica was like our life and like how how could you and I still don't you know, uh you know we ended up going to shows uh, together later that year and they ended up actually seeing Metallica together later that year but man alive, um. And something else, and you know, you don't, you never really get over those things when you're that age. You know, you, you take that thing, those things very, um, very intensely, and, and it, it kind of that moment kind of defines you in that sense. But uh, uh, how did you guys think I wasn't gonna find out? Because you know, back then you had to wear the concert T-shirt the next day, and they were not trying to hide that. For, uh, and you know, the thing I remember so much too is about Metallica losing um, the Grammy. To, uh, to Jethro Tull that year. It was just crazy that Metallica was even on the Grammys. They were even on television, uh, let alone um, being in contention for a, you know, a Grammy award. And, of course, they famously lost to Jethro Tull, which clearly uh, shows uh, just how clueless uh, the Grammy organization was and, and probably still is. Uh, but anyway, uh, so uh, enough of that for now. Um I wanted to also, I guess, I guess I'll say one more thing. I'll, I'll go and go into March because March I turned 15, and a couple of great records that came out that year was uh, around that time was uh, I'm a big hip hop guy, and I remember uh, getting into De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising made a big impression on me, and Madonna's Like a Prayer was 
everywhere. There was this big controversy with uh, like some Pepsi commercial and all that. But uh, and but if you were hanging out at the mall, man, uh, you uh, you definitely know what I'm talking about. I'm so proud to bring you Michael Galinsky and his book uh, coming out, uh, The Decline of Mall Civilization. And you can uh, join its Kickstarter. You should support this book. I've supported it, and it's and it's going to be in such high demand. It's probably going to be the only way you're actually going to be able to get the book. So definitely check that out. We'll have links on our website at uh, tricky-kid.com or tricky-dash.com. And, of course, you'll be seeing that on all of our social medias and all those great things. I uh, want to thank all of our great sponsors. Uh, like uh, this week, we had so many great sponsors uh, from Nabisco uh, to Walmart uh, to um, not that I'm a, you know, whatever. Anyway, uh, but enough of all that great stuff. Let me take you back to 1989. Let me take you back to the mall. And so images that you think have to live in your head no longer have to because Michael was there with his camera uh, documenting it and you can't. These pictures are so great. It's like a time. Hey, joining us now is uh, Michael Galinsky. Uh, he is the author and the photographer of a amazing book that came out in 2012 called Malls Across America. Uh, he's now back uh, with a sequel of sorts uh, called The Decline of Mall Civilization uh, that's currently in production. Uh, Michael, welcome to Tricky Kid Radio. Thank you so much. It's, uh, it's great to have the opportunity to talk about the work. Well, okay, so... For reference, because I have a million questions for you, <laughs> so uh, just for reference, so our, our listeners can understand uh, the context here, um, how old are you, and where uh, are you? 50 years old. How, how old? 50. 50. Wow, you sound 20. Well, live hard, and you stay young. <laughs> Words to live by. I like that a lot. Uh, okay, and then you're calling me, uh, or actually we're talking right now, and you are, where are you right now in the world? I am in North Carolina, where I grew up and where many of the malls that I shot are. Fantastic, okay. Now, do you, let me see this, do you yourself personally have an affinity for mall and mall culture? I would say I have more of a horror of it than an affinity. Um, not really a whore, but you know, I was not someone who really loved the mall. I just liked to go there and shoplift. <laughs> okay. Um, when I was a kid. No, I mean, you know, so I grew up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and there was just a very small mall here called University Mall. You know, it had two little anchor stores and um, then you know, a bunch of smaller stores in a, just a straight single story space. Um, but there was also another one called South Square, which was two stories with more of a food court, et cetera, that we would also go to. But it was a little bit more of a hike and harder to get to. We could ride our bikes to University Mall. Guys. So we spent a lot more time there. Okay. Well, okay. But, I mean, but in hindsight, has, has your opinion about the mall changed at all? I mean, I mean, when you when you look back on it, do you feel like you have more of an appreciation for it now? I think it's funny because, you know, there's this interesting and deep connection to Stranger Things and these photos. Um, and, you know, I, I'd say I'm probably more of like, 
I really liked, so where I live in Chapel Hill, there's a, there's a main street, a main drag, and that's where the two arcades were. There was the Pump House and the Barrel of Fun. Okay. So mostly we would spend our, our time when I was a teenager walking up and down the main drag rather than the mall. So I'm kind of, I, I, I like the mall, I mean the main drag a little bit better, and it, it also goes back to this idea that the, the main drag is kind of more of a public space, right? Right. Rather than uh, a privatized space. Okay, so, uh, so 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 uh, that's interesting. So elaborate on that. Well, have you have you picked up or have you seen Stranger Things? I, I have, and I, but for no spoilers and for our listeners, I'm only up. Yeah, to... this isn't not much of a spoiler. But gotcha. There's a, there's a small sub story in the show about um, uh, you know how the the, the, the main street is being decimated by the mall. Right. Right. And which which is which is a reflection of a real thing. I mean, a lot of people were you know in small towns were anti mall because they were seemingly kind of driving out the kind of the mom and pop places downtown. Are you still there? About that, I, I hit the wrong button. Oh, sorry. You okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I hope you can trim that. Yeah, no <laughs> worries. No I was worries. Trying to hit, don't call or hang up on her, but I didn't. <laughs> anyway, uh, if we well, we can start back up with like. Okay. Um, you asked the question about um, oh Main Street versus the mall. I, I just say I kind of had more of affinity for the Main Street than the mall. But what what happened or how this project came to be was um, I was interested in photography. I took a color photo class, and I was dating a girl who went to Stony Brook on Long Island, and we had to go to the mall for something. And as soon as we walked in, I knew I had found um, the answer to what I was going to shoot for my color photo class. Because it was just so full of life and color, and it's just an incredible place to shoot. And so that's how the, the project started. I shot in this mall for my project, and the teacher was so into the work. She's like, "You have to continue this across the country this summer." And so I did. And that, that's how it all came to be. I see. Okay. And so, and what year was that? That was 1989. So that's perfect because, again, as you'll see in the context of this interview, is that this is our 1989 episode. This is 30 wow, years. Perfect. So, so I'm telling you, uh, like whenever we you know we're texting, you can't imagine how uh, ideal when I came across this article and I was like, I, I found we or my producer sent it to me and I was like, this is the guy. This is exactly yeah. what we need because. I, and I should let you know this too, the reason why is that I personally have a total affinity uh, for the mall. And I yeah. I live for it. Uh, I still live for it. And I have this kind of um, thing I tell my wife. I always, I always say, I always try to have make my life somehow uh, every single day or my, my source of, of, of happiness is how the malls were in the 80s and so that's why it was so funny that you know we watched stranger things and in the first five minutes like they're at the mall in the 80s and i'm like this is everything i've ever wanted like <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's even funnier about what i was saying is that, that special mall south square the one that was close by yeah that's actually uh, the mall that is two miles from where the duffer brothers went to school yeah and so, so I, yeah, even deeper connection to it. Yeah. Right, right. So I mean, so, so not only you know, like I said, are we looking at you know they're at the mall? They're looking at your mall. I'm what I'm looking at your mall in a sense. Right. Well, their mall really too. That's the thing I'm saying. Like a lot of the, yeah, especially in this new book that I'm putting out. Um, there's so many from South Square because it was kind of the middle space between like a, it's it's so Starcourt. It's not really a single story, you know. Uh, small mall, but it's not a—it's not one of the, the fancy malls. Either. Right. So it's in between. 
which is why it, it and, and it is interesting because I do think one thing that happened, you know, as a photographer, I shot these photos in a way that was um, really just super observational. Like, it's not about my opinion of anything. It's just like, oh, look, here's some people coming. Let's, let's, I, you know, kind of shooting almost um, experimentally, not looking through the lens most of the time, just kind of learning to get what I got. Right. And um, because of that, you know, at the time, they didn't really fit in with the overriding paradigm of what people expected from photos. So I took them to a few galleries and they basically, they literally just laughed at me. And they're like, these are just people in malls. But the thing was, I, I think I'm really the only person who shot photos in malls, like street photos, we call them, you know, kind of like, you know, street right. the, the only one. So if you Google malls 1989 or malls 1980s, the only thing that comes up is these images. I mean, there's some, a few other images pop up, but nothing that really has people in them in a way that feels like you're at the mall. Yeah. So, I, so the point of that is, though, because of that, I think that the, those images were, were totally used as reference for the show as well. Well, because it, it was probably the only source material they could have found. Like you That's were saying. so insane, right? I mean, yeah. well, you could find things that were like shot in a movie at the time, but then the thing is, that doesn't feel like what it really feels like. It feels like a Hollywood representation, which we all know isn't what it really feels like. Oh, right, so right. Way, it's, it's this kind of weird thing, like, it's hard to believe that nobody else shot any photos, but they didn't. Well, that's what certainly I certainly nobody professional. Well, that's what I really, I really am interested in talking about. Uh, obviously, yeah. like I said, I want to mention uh, just right out of the gate again. Michael has a sequel called "The Decline of Mall Civilization." It's a Kickstarter that's it's currently going on right now, uh, and I we want to have all of our listeners uh, go there support this. Uh, I can't wait till this thing is in my hands. Uh, I wanted to tell you a little bit. Um, about how I came to your original work here in a second, yeah. but, but but getting back to what you're saying, could you imagine the Duffer Brothers uh, being a part of the the research and the part of the production aspect of of their hit show Stranger Things, and like you said, trying to find some type of source material to reference it, going online there, like you said, there really is none, but the ones that they found was the mall were taken in the mall that they went to. Yeah, that's exactly. it's funny. I actually did. I got their email from a friend who went to film school with them, and I, and I sent him a note, but I, I haven't heard back. And, and it, you know, it's funny because BuzzFeed ran a piece about it, and it was interesting because younger people who had never experienced the mall and are certainly not fifty years old look at them and go, "Yeah, that's just people in malls. There's people in malls all the time." Blah blah blah. But they don't realize that there's no documentation of it from yeah. that time period, and why you know nostalgia. There's this kind of aspect. What I learned from these photographs. So, like, I took them in 1989. And I, nobody was interested in them, so they just went in a box. I found them in 2010, and I scanned a few and made a music video for my band using them, and then they just went crazy viral. And I came to see that, actually, after like 20 to 25 years, our memories move to another place in our brain, and they spark and fire in a different way. And that's really what nostalgia is. You know? Totally. It's really interesting. And so, totally. I continue to make work, like, We've, we've had some struggle getting people to care about the things that we do, but the interesting thing is because they're very present, which means they don't draw a lot of attention to themselves, they don't, they're not like, hey, look at me, I'm Sandra D. they're just like, this is here. Yeah. So they don't, you know, it's in front of you at the time, you're like, that's not that interesting, but 20 years later, you're like, oh my God, that's what that felt like. And, and that's what I was going for. I was inspired by Robert Frank, who made that book, The Americans, right. and William Eggleston, who shot a lot of color photographs in the South in the early 70s. That became really um, 
the first color photos to show at the Museum of Modern Art. But with, at the time when they showed them, everyone was like, yeah, this is just these boring pictures. They're not that interesting. But they age so well because they capture this essence of what that felt like. Well, yeah. And that's, yeah. Like, well, not only that, but only just because, I mean, it's like walking into a time machine and, A, that, that was the appeal for me. But also, like you said, it's because we always want things that we can't get our hands on and we can't actually get our hands on nostalgia like in terms of like we i mean we we may talk ourselves into some sort of revisionist idea of what that time was actually like and how we like to remember it or what we want it how we want it to be now but like you see you said it perfectly you framed it perfectly when you said that our our brains kind of kind of fire uh in a a different frequency or or, or, i guess a better way of saying it would be that we um how we take those experiences that we haven't accessed in a while and when we access it it fires up and it, it does something different you know it's interesting like so my mom she just fell and she fractured her skull right but she had a brain bleed and what happened there was the last few weeks was really interesting just seeing where the different areas of her brain were affected a week ago all she could do was sing she really wasn't capable of having a conversation but as things healed she can converse again but it's because singing comes from a different place in our brain right like literally (laughs) you know and rhyming comes from it so she was doing a lot of rhyming because she couldn't find the words um wow it's kind of the same thing yeah. With images, they spark in a different place, and it really feels different. Well, not only that, too, but like you said, like, you know, whatever we can't get our hands on, whatever we can't actually, you know, you, you, you literally can't actually go back, and this is this is a way to literally yeah. transport you there. But then, yeah. and this is, this is something I find to be totally fascinating, is that, but like you said, there's also, if I wanted to go online or I wanted to go somewhere to remember what it actually looked like, there's no pictures of it. And the reason why is because, and this is what I, I, I wanted to, to bring to the table here, was that is that people weren't taking pictures at the mall because no. they can't understand that we didn't have cell phones. We, there, was, there, was some, right. there wasn't anything in our pocket where we could take a million pictures that was not costing us and additional money. If you right. had a camera, you that was something almost a prominence. Okay, the dis- yeah. disposable it camera. Sets you apart. Right. Ex- yeah. Exactly. It set you. It set you apart. And even when you had that camera, what people also don't you know, young people don't realize. For people who grew up in the eighties, I'm about five years younger than you are. But I'm forty five, mm-hmm. but I'm still obviously part of that club. Is yep. that? Is that? You would take pictures with the camera that you had at Christmas, and it would take you three years to get around to developing it. Right. Next, the next Christmas, you developed last year's. Uh, right, right. So you go to get ready to shoot, and you're like, oh, there's film in here. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. And so you're not going to – and every time – think about this, too. Every time you would you know, hit the button on that ca- on that camera – this is before disposable cameras. You would, uh, you know, it had to count because you only had maybe twelve, maybe twenty-four exposures. You right. were not going to waste it on anything. You certainly weren't going to waste it on strangers at a mall because we wouldn't have had the foresight to, to understand and to know the value of, that they would have later. Right. And so that's yeah. what you do. So talk about that for a second. <laughs> well, it's funny. So you say that, but. So, yeah, like in high school, I took photo class, and I just fell in love with the darkroom. So I started shooting a lot, and I was the, the yearbook guy and the newspaper guy. And I knew I wanted to make pictures, but I didn't want to go to art school, and I didn't want to go to journalism school. So I ended up actually um, 
by the time I took these pictures, I had completed a, my, uh, a major in religious studies, which really meant more sociology and anthropology classes than anything else. And so what's significant about that is that when I entered the mall, I was thinking of the mall from that perspective as a new form of the public space that was commercialized. And what did that mean? And what did those interactions mean? And how did people interact in that space? And, you know, what were they doing in that space to try to capture people? Like the plants. Like, yeah. and, they, and they tried to make it like it was a park. And so it really was a public amenity in some level, but it also had this thing that you were privatizing that space. So, you know, did I really have the right to shoot in that space? That's an interesting question because it's, it's, is it a public space anymore? You know, it right. might even have to be something that is litigated at some point. Um, but it's like, where's our presumption of privacy, et cetera. So, um, yeah, it was, it was about all of these different things, which is why I kind of shot from the hip because I actually didn't know if I was allowed to or not. But I also shot from the hip because I was like a punk rock kid and I liked experimenting. I didn't, you know, I was interested in what happens if I try it this way. Well, um, for sure. And then also maybe yeah. the fact that maybe that even you weren't allowed would have been very attractive. <laughs> yeah, well, no, yes, but it, I, I, I might have been, it was also just who I was, which was I didn't, it wasn't about interaction. For me, it was really about like, because here's the thing is like, once you actually involve the other person, it changes what's going on. So it goes from an observation to a relationship. And I think those pictures that are made with the relationship are really powerful. But I also think street photography is really powerful. That's where you get this really unfiltered look at people. And But I was also really conscious of doing it in a super non-judgmental way, right? right. Like it was just like, I just want to capture this because I, I was looking at the work of Gary Winogrand and Robert Frank and William Eggleston. And, and I, I had an idea of what those things were and I wanted to, to be within that realm. And I think even then, I knew that its real value wouldn't, reveal itself until much later which is a little frustrating when you're 20 but yeah but but but, but still amazing amazing foresight that you would have because i would have too i would have thrown them into a drawer and then i would have forgot about them and then they would have been something that would have given me joy and maybe some sort of personal value at a much later time you know yeah well it was pretty interesting when i did put them online and and i could see just how powerful the response is and was and will be but it is interesting this time around too, which is you know it went viral in 2010 and now it's 2019, and just what's what's going on with this time around is that the younger people don't have that sense and they're like yeah this is just boring pictures and malls, yeah, <laughs> Cause yeah. They, they don't they don't <laughs> they don't have the foresight or the deeper understanding of that and they're just like well there's there's tons of pictures of people in malls. I actually made a comment on BuzzFeed to somebody who says so you mean to, you seem to be implying that this is the only these are the only pictures that were made in malls. And I just, I did comment and said, yeah, why don't you Google Malls 1989 and see what happens? <laughs> but, you, but you're right, though. I mean, like, like I said, if when I was at the mall in 89, I was 15, okay? So yeah. I didn't even have a camera. And like I said, you know, disposable cameras actually, ironically, really weren't introduced uh, massively until 1989. They, they came out in, 80, in 86, but they really weren't something that were... Right. You know, something you could kind of get your hands on to '89, and really not part of the culture until you know, like really ingrained until much, much later because they were much more right, affordable. Right. But like I said, when I went to the mall, it would have never have occurred to me to go, "Hey, I want to take a picture of us here at the mall, or that stranger over there, or I want to document the posterity of of this." Like you were saying. Uh, kind of in a time machine. It didn't have that value. I just was, I wanted to play some video games. I wanted to talk to girls. Right. 
And totally. that's it. I mean, well, I'm in that it world. It wouldn't have occurred to me either if I wasn't in a photo class and I had to have a project. Well, and, I, and, 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 you know, the really sad thing is I can't remember that teacher's name and my college wasn't able to help me. But really, she actually, the first day of class, her first assignment was Watch River's Edge. Mm. And then we talked about that and representation and, you know, photographing people. And so then when I went to the mall and I just saw this place, I was like, oh, this will be perfect for the class. And she had the foresight to say, this is much bigger, and even the way we were talking about it, you should drive across the country. And having just read On the Road, I was like, hell yeah, I'll drive across the country. Let me tell you something, it sucked. <laughs> it was a terrible <laughs> experience. Because, you know, it was just me and my friend, we knew no one, we had no money, barely making it from town to town, and um, we just never met anybody. And, and then our car got broken into San Francisco. Luckily, the night before, I'd separated out the shot film from the unshot film. Oh. And my unshot film was stolen, but my unshot, my shot film was still there. Oh. And um, then he freaked out and was like, we got to go home. So we drove straight from San Francisco to, to St. Louis without stopping, except to like go to the bathroom. I mean, this is what I'm saying. Though something was driving you. I mean, I mean, I mean, you were 20 years old. You're rom- rom- romanticizing, like you said, uh, on the road at the point. You know, we all, we all, hopefully, hopefully, all of the, you know the we get to some point where we identify with that book or even read it. You know, and yeah. then try to to have an adventure similar on our own. But dude, I didn't even get on a freaking plane till I was like 25. I mean, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. Moved to Texas when I we was about 13. So I was a, a little bit behind the curve there, but. For you, what do you think was your motivation then? Because like, like you said, you didn't have any, like, some big budget and you're staying in nice hotels. You were well, chasing we, something. We what was it? We were on the side of the road and getting chased off by cops. We woke up one night with just covered in slugs by a, a train track, and the train that kept going was cops shining lights on us and rousting us. I mean, it was it was not fun, but we also, it was really alienating. Um, but, but I'll tell you two things about that. One is, I got home from that trip, and I started a band, and the next year, or two years later, I went on tour with the band, and... It was perfect. We would drive to a town, meet the people we would want to meet, share art that we'd want to talk about, get free beer, maybe enough money for gas, and they would send us on with information about people in the next town. And so the people I met on that trip are still some of my best friends today. And it was just an interesting thing. Like what we got the second time around was that experience. But for me, why I was doing the trip was I did want to be a photographer and I had a project to do. And that was the first kind of time to, that I saw myself as a possible artist. Uh, it took 30 years for people, other people to see it as art, but, <laughs> right. but, um, but I'm really glad I did it. And um, oh, and actually, you know, I, I spoke about my mom a moment ago, but there's something else you said, what, what made you do it? But I grew up in a house where we had a lot of books around, and one of the books we had was On the Road. So what I actually read On the Road, it was a first edition. Wow. Jacket, and in the front was the New York Times review that my mother had underlined. Oh. So that's like when I got the, um, you know, NWA record. I cut out. I, I, I didn't even. I didn't even think about it. But I just automatically cut out the Village Voice front cover article and put it in the in the album. So I was like an archivist, like her. But she also had these really important photo books. Just two really important ones, which is this Richard Avedon book with Truman Capote, but also this other one, which was um, Helen Levitt's A Way of Seeing. Oh. And it, you know. So that's another one. There's this first edition book sitting in our house, which was worth like four grand. Yeah. But it was it was on the coffee table, and I looked at it all the time. So that totally shaped my understanding of what photographs were. Well, so yeah. I was really lucky that way. Well, yeah. In other words, you had this kind of think tank environment. Thankfully, my mother was somebody who you know she's a, she's an educator, and I grew up in a house all you know with great music and great books, and and that way too. We were very poor, but uh, but we always we always had. Had that as our as our base, which I'm very yeah. grateful for. But but again, just like how the photographs 
and your experience taking them, maybe now it sucked at the time, but when you look back on that trip, golly, it was like the best time of your life, man. Right? In a sense? No, the trip itself wasn't, I'm so glad I had that experience. It was the next trip that was. Because sometimes as much as we want to have a nostalgia, like, so I would say this, that the touring was difficult. It was hard. But I have a much better memory of that because I I made real relationships and, and met real people. The mall trip was kind of alienating because we were in malls where we didn't know anybody. It's not like, you know, you would go to the mall and you would be on the lookout and you'd see someone you went to high school with. Right. And then you, you'd see them. Going to a mall where you know anybody, you really feel like you're a, uh, you know, an astronaut landing on a different planet. Because <laughs> there's no way to make contact, especially when you're 20 years old and not really that adept at it. Right. So it was, it was, it was I don't, I don't have really, I don't have the best memories of it. It was really hard. And also my friend and I were having a hard time. Right. It was, it was hard. But you, but you, you worked, know? but you, but you got it though. And that's, and that, that's what I yeah. love. Yeah. I, wa- I wanted to, to go back to something you said a while ago, yeah. how you were talking about potential litigation and were you yeah. allowed to shoot there? Is it the first thing I thought of, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will too, will think, well, um, now that you have, you actually, of course, you, know, you published these photos back in 2012, about to do it again, you obviously don't know anybody, these actual people would have literally no way of getting a hold of them. Talk a little bit about the fair use. Um, and, well, and, and, so if, you, if you're out in public, you have no presumption of privacy. Okay. It's, I mean, that's how we have journalism. But I would say this about it. You'd be surprised. I have now, I'm now in contact with dozens of I've had contact with dozens of people in the images because it went so viral that people find themselves all the time wow way more people think they find themselves than actually find themselves (laughs) it has to do with the fact that um, a lot of malls were you know you had a flat piece of land and so you didn't pay someone to design a mall for you you went to a book of designs you chose the design and you paid those people ten thousand dollars instead of two million oh okay so we I shot one mall in like um, uh, Vancouver Washington and then we stopped in St. Louis, and it was we walked in the food court, and we're like, oh, my God, it's the same food court. That was, like, literally the same mall with wow. the same stuff in it. Because there was no regional differences, and there was also no design differences, really, you know? There was a kind of a, there were a few plans that got enacted a lot of times, and sometimes they would be site-specific, but largely they weren't. And even if they were site-specific, you were just putting part X into part Y. Right, you know? right, right. And, um, so I, I thought that was that was pretty interesting. About yes, it well. oh. I, but that's something that, that you know I would have never have known. And and again, you know, we can go even deeper because like I know that the guy who actually invented the mall, uh, you know, this was supposed to be his life's work. On his deathbed, he actually renounced the mall. It, it became something that uh, grotesquely, um, you know, capitalist that he didn't. You know, right. I mean, but. Man, I I love the mall so much that I I, I would play the board game Mall Madness that was geared towards, <laughs> you know, teenage <laughs> girls. And, and what town do you live in? Uh, yeah. I, I, I yeah, say say it again. And where do you live? Which mall do you go to now? Okay, so all right, so just a brief thing about that is that okay, so again, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, and then uh-huh. I and then we my family moved to. Um, the Dallas Fort Worth area uh, right. in 1987, and then uh, and, and then I moved. You know, I have a lot in common. We both come from punk rock and rock and roll yeah. and all that. I moved to New York for many years, but anyway. But the mall that I, that my mall, if I were to give a shout out right now to my mall, it would be the Northeast Mall in in a little town called Hearst, Texas, which is between wow. Dallas and Fort Worth. Fort Worth, huh? And then when I moved back, 
uh, to the Dallas-Fort Worth area in 2013 after being in New York for about eight years. Uh, it is still my mall. Now, I moved um, north of Dallas uh, out here in a, in, a, uh, in a fluent little suburb here uh, called Frisco, Texas. But uh, but when I go visit my mom, uh, actually, you and I have a lot in common. Uh, when I go see my mom, that's what we do, man. We go to. So when I think about my mall and where I met girlfriends and actually yeah. worked and my food court flirting experiences, that <laughs> that is my mall. Well, because I was just I was wondering if you knew about North Park, which I think is an interesting one. Uh, you know, I do, but I, I, I know about North Park. And that's what I wanted to ask you, and I, but I wanted to, I wanted you to talk about North Park to our listeners. Okay, well, I, my, so my wife grew up in Dallas, and so you know, sometimes when we go there for, for Christmas, etc., we'll go to North Park, and my uh, my my sister in law lives just down uh, down the road from it. But I just think that's a really, it's a really, it's a cool mall in the way that it really uh, loves art. Yes. You know, and so it becomes, you know, it, it becomes this idea of what you can do with a mall, which is that you make it, it's still, it's about commerce, sure, and we, you know, civilization exists with commerce, that's how we interact, that's how we, I, I'm not against commerce, but I think sometimes when you have over-commercialization, which becomes um, kind of limiting as to who's going to be in the mall, and there's a kind of a sense of who's welcome and who's not, that becomes slightly problematic. But yeah. I, I think that North Park is really cool with all of the art, and, and what's interesting actually is, this, this work has not shown much in galleries, but there's a museum here in um, North Carolina at, at, in Durham at Duke called the National Museum of Art. And so the Nashers uh, could pay for the National Museum um, because they built North Park. Ah. So they're the ones who actually, they were art collectors, and they put all their art in the mall. Ah. And so it's, it's kind of ironic that the only time that the, this work has shown in a, in a um, museum was at the National Museum. Yeah, and what a connection there too. And, and you know, and I'll tell you this too: is that um, again, I tell out of towners that I'm from from the Dallas area because they've heard of it. <laughs> you know, yeah, they've. Yeah, yeah. But I'm really from Fort Worth. Like when people come in town, they want to go to, yeah. to, to Dallas. I'm like, look, I, I don't know much more about Dallas than you do. I'm really from <laughs> the sticks. But reason why I know about North Park, and, and here's how we all will tie all this together, is that a major passion of mine is Christmas. Again, I grew up super poor in a nowhere Arkansas, so for us, Christmas was really the deal. And nothing for me frames my memory of Christmas like going to the mall, right? The way they the way they do it, uh, Christmas. Uh, you know, it's kind of like I live even before I, I just became a new parent uh, for the first time uh, last year. Thank you. And even before that, I lived to go to the mall, and I would see the excitement and be a part of that. You know, um, so something that North Park offers is that, I and mean, maybe you know this already, is that they have an, an exhibit called the Trains at North Park. And my mom kind of has a bit of an affinity for uh, train culture and the way things used to, used to be and the idea of kind of like a murder mystery. But actually you can. Um, legally, and that's that's partly why it's, you know, it's a very important right to have because if not, then you, you give more control over uh, the public space to individuals than, than we probably should. Like it, it leads to, you know, more control mechanisms. So it, I... But at the same time, I think even when we do take pictures, so in order to keep that right, we also have to respons- have a responsibility to treat people fairly and with respect. And so one thing I was really conscious of is trying to 
there was no way I was making fun of anybody. I was just literally trying to document it. And right. So I think that but part of the thing about that is that's one of the reasons the work didn't appeal to anybody for a long time because they wanted stuff that was going to be critical or making fun of or, or sensationalistic. On it. Yeah. The truth is though that that work ages badly. Like it it, it really feels age, it it doesn't age well. Yeah. And I think that's why this work is really standing out because it does age well because it's just that. Yeah. No, you're yeah. right. You're right because if you had some picture of you <clears throat> drop, I could look at it all day, and then the <laughs> and then the guy wearing uh, or the guy, you know, the super metal the guy. Not the super metal guy. You mean you're talking about the guy who looks like he's in the Ramones? No, uh, no, no. There's a guy who's like playing guitar, like in. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the music yeah, store. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that. That's incredible. That, but that one actually clearly he's looking right at me. So that one's <laughs> there's acknowledgement there. Well, yeah, but, but what I mean though is 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 you have if if you didn't grow up in that time, you have seen that parodied to the point where you, so many times since that you don't actually believe that that actually happened you yeah. know the whole thing in Wayne's world about uh, exactly. no no stairway and, and you actually have a picture of a guy who would embody that right yeah yep. now speaking of Wayne's world let me take it to a little thing here is of course that movie was directed by Penelope Spheris uh, exactly. Here, here we go. You know where I'm going, right? I do. I'm okay. glad you get it. Yes, man. So, okay. So now, since you come from the 80s and you come from punk rock, I have to yeah. mention that the title of the sequel to the book, that has got to be an homage to the decline of Western civilization. It absolutely is. And you know what's interesting? The decline part two... The Metal Years came out in 1989. That yes, it did, and we're gonna be talking. We're gonna be talking about that on this episode. So it's it's outstanding. Yeah. When I, I saw I, that, I love all all of those films. I, uh, I it's been a while. I mean, especially the first one, and I and I, I kind of remember. I, I don't really remember the third one, but both of those, part one and two, and and I think what's so beautiful about both of them is is they're not. They're just. A, totally observational by someone who's slightly outside it but appreciative of both the cultures yeah yeah and metal and just saying hey man this is you this is your what you guys are doing and you know she actually made a movie called suburbia yeah after part one All right. Well, that was the first part of our special two-part episode, uh, bringing you the year 1989, uh, which was, of course, the, the final year of, in my opinion, the greatest decade, which was the 1980s. Obviously, it was my favorite, in a, favorite as a kid, favorite as a young person, and we've been going through everything to bring you a complete uh, package here. Uh, I want to thank Michael Galinsky. Also, remember to please... Um, uh, support him. Support that project, The Decline of Mall Civilization. It's available on Kickstarter now. Just type in um, Enet stuff. Check out his photography site, which is Rumor Picks. It's R U M U R P I X. Uh, and we'll have the second half of our chat with Michael Galinsky next week as a part of our part two of our special from 1989. I uh, wanted to tell you about a couple other different things I wanted you to support. Uh, our friend, Audrey Fernandez, 
who performs as Honey Hulala. She is one of the most premier uh, uh, burlesque, uh, just awesome, just everything she does is just incredible. Um, she performs, uh, how I met her was some of my friends, uh, Clinton Howard, here in Dallas, Texas, are in the greatest tribute band ever to the one of the greatest bands ever, uh, the Cramps, and they're called the Gorehounds. And of course, you know, they have a song called uh, Bikini Girls with Machine Guns, and so they'll do the whole bit and have actual bikini girls with, uh, with non-actual machine guns. Uh, and Audrey uh, is one of the performers in that, and she performs all over town with uh, lolly bombs, and she's just a, a major player on that scene, but she's just a major sweetheart, and unfortunately, she uh, is uh, battling breast cancer. We, we want to support her uh, GoFundMe as well. We'll have links to all of that, all uh, and, and admiration, and done with the utmost uh, courtesy. I would be remiss if I failed to mention the fact is that Audrey... Uh, to quote actually a movie uh, that came out in 1989 that we'll be talking about Harlem Nights with uh, Red Fox and Eddie Murphy and it's all sarcast. I've learned that men come in their most their most base come in two categories. Uh, you can like both, but only one is your magnetic north. And what I'm talking about is um, Audrey uh, has the greatest derriere of all time <laughs> and to quote Harlem Knight if you were to take her ass and throw it into the air it would turn into sunshine it literally brought a tear to my eye the first time uh, that I saw it <laughs> but uh, all that aside uh, she's beautiful inside and out and we really want to help her so I really encourage you to um, to support her GoFundMe and let's get her through this she's awesome she's amazing uh, and a great performer also on at trickykid.com that's tricky-kid.com and we'll have it all across our social media platforms as well Audrey we love you uh, you have a support system uh, we will see you through this uh, and we'll be you'll have you back on stage uh, doing your thing in no time uh, also uh, some other great things but uh, is I wanted to talk about in the world of professional wrestling there's a kind of a cool things that from 1989 it seems to be so many of your current uh, stars and rosters all seem to be celebrating a uh, a 30th birthday this year. So so many were actually were born in 1989. Uh, Tennille Dashwood, one of my favorites, uh, who performed as Emma in the WWE, now going by her her birth name. I've had the pleasure of uh, calling several of her matches and uh, some of the independent uh, stuff that she did after she left. Uh, the WWE. Uh, also, uh, uh, WWE superstar Bailey turns 30 this year, as well as Nikki Cross. And there was some awesome uh, debuts that were made. There were some some Hall of Famers here. Of course, Booker T from Houston, the legendary Rey Mysterio, and uh, Tajiri. And quite perhaps the, the best ever to do it, uh, or certainly the most popular, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin made his debut right here uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in 1989. I want to remind everybody also to check out um, TrickyKid.com because you know your boy, uh, my alter ego DJ Tricky Kid, I put together this amazing 89 mix. Of course, we're playing music on this episode and of course in part two, uh, but there's going to be a much longer, uh, there is a much longer uh, mix there for to keep you rocking all summer long. Hope you're having a great, great, great summer uh, and we're going to get back to it here uh, with Chaz Knight.
Okay, and uh, back to movies. Okay. Uh, also, of course, a, one of the most movies that people still talk about, there's a lot of movies that came out that year, but uh, was Roadhouse. Oh, Patrick Swayze. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. All some ass kicking. Right. Uh, one of the most like unintentionally funny movies of all time, right? <laughs> uh, Back to the Future Part 2 came out in 1989. Eh. Loved it, loved it. It was eh. confusing as hell and loved it. Yeah, it was okay. Uh, for the kids celebrating 30 years, uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven, oh, as yeah. well as The Little Mermaid is 30 oh, years old. It's a huge year for Disney. Uh, one of the uh, movies that I still quote all the time, quote a movie in is Harlem Nights. Oh, my God. All sarcast. Finally, a movie that has Red Fox... Richard Pryor. That movie's hilarious. Yeah, Eddie Murphy, of course. Um, Everybody, I remember this was a movie that my mom and my four sister, this was the year of the girl movie, and this is the older woman movie, Still Magnolias. Yeah, totally. Um, Now, speaking of baseball, on the comedy side, Major League. Oh, Charlie Sheen, come on. And? Might be the greatest movie, uh, sports movie of all time. No, this one is. That also came out that year. Thanks for shutting me down. <laughs> I think you'll agree. Field of Dreams. Uh, oh, I love Field of Dreams. Better than Major League? Totally. Yeah, Major League is, is something you would... Field of Dreams is drunk. Oh, because you're the when, baseball guy. That's right. Yeah. Now it's full circle. You're the baseball. Of course you would say Field of Dreams. But, okay, also, Major League has not aged well. Okay, Field of Dreams has... has still funny it is okay and now we're talking about about, that just shows our personalities yeah yeah (laughs) totally you're the goofball i'm the the sentimental romantic type right um (laughs) are you i am okay now okay and this will get into it here is that um also, uh, let's see, Cameron Crowe's Say Anything with Ioni Sky, one of my favorites. Ioni Sky. And here's the deal, too. Uh, can we talk more about her? We, we can. Okay. <laughs> uh, and talk about, it has had to have been, I guess what they would call trolling now. There was a movie called Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, greatness. About greatness. A, about a dead guy. Yeah, no, but that movie. He was, and then there was a sequel yeah. called Wicked Bernie's Two. Still dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that movie was great though. It's funny. One of the movies I saw at the, at the theater that summer. I mean, this was back when going to the movies was an event. Yeah, it well, was a big deal. Right. Exactly. You remember all the movies that you saw at the theater, right? Yeah. And and I would say oh, that that the, my two and this is what leads me to this the, my two movies that I went to of course they always had the big blockbuster thing that summer that I remember going to the mo uh, you know because you didn't go to the movies that often you was, it was an event it was a big deal you better right. went one or twice a year at least we did we were poor man <laughs> and lived out in Crowley we didn't even have a freaking theater right yeah. so we're going to get in the you know you're going to go with your family it's going to be a big deal so I went and, and saw now I'm not a Tim Burton guy but this was the year that he did the, that amazing Batman Man reboot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With Jack Nicholson yeah. as a Joker, yeah. Michael Keaton as Batman, and of course, my main man, Prince. Oh, yeah. Did that, that amazing soundtrack. soundtrack, right? Right. So, speaking of soundtrack, I there is no song, no band, and no image. And I'm getting a little, I was getting, you know, I'm still kind of a kid, I'm 15, but this was my first kind of peek into a little bit of a, of a, End of the Innocence, uh, which 
was also Don Henley came out with that album that year. Um, was I was first introduced to Spike Lee, and he came out with a movie called Do the Right Thing, and it was Ooh, it was in yeah, very limited release. And I ended up not seeing it until it came out like on videotape. And I remember, remember talking about Field of Dreams. I remember like when you would go to the movie to the movie store, to the mom and pop one, and the new movie was like a whole wall right. of that movie, yeah. right? Like sixty copies of Field of Dreams, right. right? And there was this one copy of this weird movie called Do the Right Thing, and it was weird. I've been wanting to watch it, like I haven't seen it in a long time. But for me, even so, but I was into into hip hop, right? And oh, do the right thing. I, okay, I see so, where you're going. Well, here's the deal. So a lot of people don't, re- don't remember that uh, you know that you know Metallica was on Elektra, uh, and then Anthrax was on was on Megaforce, but Slayer was on a rap label. They were on Def Jam, yeah. right? Yeah. And through that. Uh, and this is what we, we did back then. Remember how like you would run to the local convenience store if you lived in a, in a small town and you would just pour over the metal magazine, the rock magazines. Metal Edge. Metal Circus. Edge, circus. Hip faces. Hip Parader. Hip Parader. Rip. Rip. And I would... Totally. And I would order music. I ordered Venom's Black Metal without ever actually hearing it because the album cover was so freaking gnarly and awesome, right? right. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so for me, I really got in to the hip hop band that year, Public Enemy. Now, the album actually didn't come out till 1990 called Fear of a Black Planet, but there is no song, at least for me, that shapes the summer of 1989 more than Fight the Power. From Do the Right Thing. It was the the song that summer. So It definitely was huge on MTV. I remember it was oh yeah. It was everywhere. It was like a protest block party thing, right? Okay. So huge. And so yeah, so I was watching Headbangers Ball on Saturday nights and I was watching and I was watching Yo MTV raps on Friday nights, man. I was into both. Okay, and then Public Enemy with Anthrax after that, right? Ninety one. Ninety one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I know we're getting right towards that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But this was still 1989, and even that record hadn't, you know, Fear of a Black Planet hadn't come out until 1990. So uh, the first song, I'm going to play a couple of songs. I usually only play one song per episode, but uh, there's, you know, how are we only going to play one song from 89, right? So we're going to do Public Enemies. Nice. Fight the power, and we're going to be right. Coming up, come on back. Stick around with this. Fight the power. This is Public Enemy with. Fight the power. We'll be right back. Playback! Fight the power! Fight the power! Fight the power! We got to fight! 
the powers that be As the rhythm designed to bounce with Nelson's back around Designed to fill your mind now that you realize the prize arrives We got to pump the stuff to make it tough From the heart it's the start a work of art to revolutionize Make a change of its race People, people, we all the same, no one not the same Cause we don't know the game What we need is awareness, we can't get careless You say what is this? Got the 
Oh, what's up? This is the infamous serial wax killer, Beastie Boys DJ Assassin, Mix Master Mike, and you're tuned in to my man DJ Tricky Kid. Don't be a clown, don't sleep. Check it out, y'all. All right, all right, all right. Fighting the powers that be. Again, nothing defined uh, that summer for me. You know, 1989, another summer. Um, and just got what an awakening that was. And I was already a massive hip hop fan. Here comes these just. It's crazy how you had the straight man and Chuck D. You had the foil and Flavor Flav. It was militant. It was heavy. It was amazing. It was just the the visual, the whole bit just captivated me and still does. I'm actually wearing a public enemy watch uh, right now as I speak. Uh, a couple things I want to talk about. Uh, of course, that, that took place in the summer, and I want to get us up to the summertime uh, before uh, we get into uh, before we, we sign off this week and uh, and of course once you get, get you ready for for part two so I figured I'd get us up to the month of July uh, for that summer but I wanted to backtrack just for a second and talk about a couple of things so we mentioned how I'd watch Yo MTV raps on Friday and uh, and Headbangers Ball on Saturday. Well, now, again, our little saga, because I have to walk you through it, which is so funny. I hope that they'll enjoy listening to this as well. But uh, So by April, I, uh, Steve and I, I guess, were back in black, uh, which also came out today, but in 1980, by the way. Um, or was it 81? I think it was 80. Anyway, uh, there was a thing called the Headbangers Ball Tour. And here's where it all ties together is that the Headbangers Ball Tour was headlined by Anthrax, who was like part of, of course, the big four with Megadeth, Slayer, and Metallica. And those four bands were just, like I said, our entire life. We already talked about Metallica back in February when I got dissed and didn't get to go to the show. But uh, I was redeemed in April, and actually I was the one that actually reached out to him and put the whole thing together. And uh, I even got my sister and some of her friends to drive us to Fair Park Coliseum in April of 1989. It's insane to think that was 30 years ago for us to see Exodus, uh, Halloween, and Anthrax on the Headbangers Ball Tour. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a mosh pit. And uh, and it was a, a night that Steve and I still talk about that we'll never, ever, ever forget. Um, and again, of course, Anthrax went on to, to do uh, Bring the Noise with Public Enemy. So that's kind of a neat thing. Uh, talking about Metallica earlier, um, and we'll get into this later in the fall, but uh, um, the Cult released Sonic Temple in April. Uh, they're uh, doing a, a tour right now that I just saw where they're doing the entire record, and it's fantastic. Uh, Great Whites, Once Bitten, Twice Shy. Now, I really remember that video for me was more like the summer of 90, but it did come out uh, th this summer. But the video with Bobby Brown and all that uh, came out a little bit later, uh, or at least I cause it was, wasn't in heavy rotation for me until a little bit later. But I wanted to mention that. And, um, and in the world of television, uh, Seinfeld. Uh, now, it didn't actually start until a year later, but the pilot, which was called The Seinfeld Chronicles, uh, aired in April of 1989, and as well as Mike Myers joins the cast of Saturday Night Live. And in the world of gaming, 
two big things. Uh, the Game Boy. I mean, what a year 89 was. Uh, on my phone right now, if you look on the back, I have, a, I have a phone case that you can get from RetroCase.com. They're also one of our sponsors. and It's an actual playable phone case that looks like a Game Boy that plays the original Game Boy games. Not some crappy emulator. It's like the real deal, the real stuff. And my favorite maybe game for any system ever uh, was Super, Super Dodgeball came out in 1989. And talking about that, you know, we're talking about our personal history. In 1989, Crowley, Texas, again, me and Steve Ainsworth, Chris Todd, going to the convenience store. We talked about it a while ago, um, you know, getting the rock magazines and the Slurpee or whatever. Um, you would play whatever video games the convenience stores had. And the quick way there in, uh, in Crowley, had 1942, which was, of course, a pilot, you know, war game, and they had this game called Super Dodgeball. That, thanks to the Nintendo Classic, uh, many uh, it's a game that is now back in my life, and I play it often. It's a game that has aged well, and I actually participated in a Super Dodgeball tournament last year, but it was the first time I'd played like third in since like '89. And uh, at the Let's Game, Let's Play Gaming Expo, which is also coming up uh, next month, back here in, in, in uh, right outside of Dallas, in the town of Irving, Texas, there at the Irving Convention Center. So anyway, so let's get back to it. Okay, and could there be any better stopping place to focus and shine a light than what I'm about to play for you right now? I brought us up. We're at the halfway mark of our two-parter from 1989. I brought us up and and right there in July, literally today, July 25th, which is also my mother's birthday. I want to give a shout out to my mom. Happy 75th birthday to my mother, Patricia. Uh, I love you and we all love you. And uh, we're about to come see you this evening. And I'm looking forward to it. And I probably will be listening to this track on the way out there today on July 25th 1989 the Beastie Boys released what has to be one of the greatest records of any genre one of the most inspired uh just creative I mean they created new worlds with this I'm talking about the landmark record Paul's Boutique now I plan to do an entire episode just on Paul's Boutique. That's how much I love this album. That's how much it means to me. I won't be a revisionist. I wish I could tell you that I was one of those people that uh, that was into Paul's Boutique in 1989, but I, I'm sad to say that I'm not. Uh, I love the Beasties on The License to Ill uh, whenever I was in seventh grade and all that kind of goofiness, but it wasn't until, once again, Chris Todd... In 1992, he saw the video for Pass the Mic for their, their album that was about to come out called Check Your Head, uh, which we ended up getting to see them on that tour a couple of times. So 1992, the Beasties just took over. They just took over our lives, our worlds, our imaginations, and have not and have had a stranglehold on ever since. And uh, so very quickly, we learned uh, we got to get our hands on this uh, Paul's Boutique. But again... I didn't actually hear it till 89, I mean, till 92, but it came out in 89, and I have played this album so many times. I've owned it in, in every possible format. 
Uh, and one cool thing to celebrate it is it they actually were like six different EPs around this area of just this amazing period of inspiration and pro- prolific output. And I'm proud to say I still have all the original six EPs, but they've re-released them, uh, and you should try to check them out. Also, there's this really cool like three-inch turntable. You know about you know 12-inch records, maybe even 10-inch and 7-inch, which you might have called 45s, but a three-inch? Uh, and, and they released uh, Sabotage, and that's also to, to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Ill Communication. But uh, anyway, I couldn't exaggerate how much this record means to me. Um, and again, like I said, it comes out today. There's a, Adidas is doing a special shoe that did along with them. Uh, when I was uh, back in Brooklyn uh, this past April, I got to attend the... Um, this thing that they were doing called the Beastie Boys Stories. It's been a big year for them. They came out with a book that's the greatest thing in the world. you got to check out the audio version of it. And they even performed like some of from the book as a, as a play, kind of as a, with, of course, Mike D and, uh, and Ad-Rock, Adam Horowitz. Uh, always are in our hearts and love and respect to um, Adam Yout, uh, better known, of course, as MCA. I always get emotional every time I think about him, but I also just put put a smile on my face uh, thinking about him and all the great years and all the great joy that they gave us. But uh, this was it, man. I'm going to play you something crazy. I couldn't pick one song. We, again, I plan to do literally an entire episode. You heard Mixmaster Mike earlier um, on the on the program giving us a shout-out. I... Uh, uh, encourage you to check out, go to our archives. We had we had Mike on the show last year, uh, and what a great time that was. And we plan on having him back. And as we hope to get uh, also uh, Mike D and or uh, Ad Rock on the show to to do a full full Paul's Boutique episode. But for now, the album ends with this twelve minute long. Yeah, I didn't sell you short. I didn't give you the three minute single. This crazy thing called B Boy Boulia Bays. Uh, from these crazy three Jewish kids uh, from New York. Uh, and it means, again, so much to me. Again, I want to thank Michael Galinsky. Uh, make sure you support his book, uh, The Decline of Mall Civilization. Uh, check out Audrey uh, Fernandez and her GoFundMe. She's better known as Honey Lulala, and we love her. And come on back. We're going to do part two. Don't forget to check out. We have a full 1989 mix. It's 80 minutes long at TrickyKid.com. Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, which is Tricky Kid TV. You can find me on Twitter at Tricky Kid the number two. My alter ego, DJ Tricky Kid, on Instagram under just that, DJ Tricky Kid. Go on Facebook under Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. You'll get shows just like this each and every single week. Uh, and again, I hope you're having a great, great, great summer. We're celebrating 30 years of 1989. Once again, from the legendary landmark Paul's Boutique, this is the 12-minute insanity that ends that record. And we'll be back next week with more Michael Galinsky and more 1989. Enjoy B-Boy Bays and keep on rocking all summer long.
place. I threw the mattress in her face. Took off her shirt. Took off a bra.
Plenty musician. Them know it, but them can't do it. It's a trip. It's got a funky beat, and I can bug out to it. 